Support for Innovation Hub comes from Mimecast. Nearly 30,000 companies worldwide use Mimecast to help prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, phishing, and impersonation attacks. Mimecast, committed to making email safer for business. Mimecast.com. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com/CSB1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Rewind a few decades, and most parents in America knew what sorts of jobs could earn you a high salary. Lawyer, doctor, banker, business owner. Obviously, a lot of people wanted their kids to be those things, and they still do. But to that list, you might want to add software engineer, IT specialist, website designer. Not surprisingly, we're in the midst of a big shift away from college majors that would have been just fine if you were applying to law school, like philosophy or English. And we're moving towards computer science, engineering, and other STEM majors. We talked to a few college students focusing on STEM, one from California, two from Massachusetts. And we asked them, do you feel better prepared for the working world than your liberal arts counterparts? Honestly, kind of yes. But in some ways, no. I mean, yes, I'm more prepared scientifically, but I also don't have more of the, I don't know, global view that some um, liberal arts majors might have because they have time to study stuff outside the classroom that I don't. I think I'm probably a little biased because I don't know anything about being a liberal arts major. But if going off of what I know now, I would say probably just because I feel like we learn a lot more applications of like basically what we're doing in class is what we will be doing in the workplace. I think it's important in life and in the world that there's a good balance of people um, because you can't just have, you know, science, only science or only arts. I mean, I want to pursue medical school, so bio is good for that. But, um, you know, you could equally major in psychology or also major in philosophy and go into medicine, you know. So there's a lot of different ways to get to where you're going. That last sentiment, that we need lots of different kinds of people in the world, that's one that has resonance with George Anders. Anders is a contributing writer at Forbes. He's a former Pulitzer Prize winner and the author, most recently, of You Can Do Anything, The Surprising Power of a Useless Liberal Arts Education. George, thanks for being here. Thanks for the chance to be on the show. So, uh... What is wrong with thinking that, look, we're clearly embracing tech more and more. And so if you want a kid to succeed, that probably should be what they they focus on in college. So here's the interesting thing about the tech boom, that you've got this small nucleus of very engineering-centered jobs, but then you've got all these outer orbitals of things that still need that philosophy major, that anthropology major, because tech doesn't work until you connect tech with people. And the connecting with people stuff requires social skills, good communication, the ability to work through murky problems. So let me give you a couple examples. Uh, If you're any kind of company that's got a web-facing presence to the outside world, you've got to make that website hum and sing and just be pleasant to be on. And who can help you do that? It's the anthropology majors. They come in, they get to know your users, they do a lot of user research, user design, user interface, and all of a sudden those skills that they were trained that were originally meant to be used with villagers in Guatemala turn out to be pretty good to use with artists in Brooklyn. Hmm. And I open the book with an example of a guy who took his anthro degree into a user experience job with Etsy, the um, global marketplace for arts and crafts. So those useless degrees actually don't turn out to be so useless after all. 
And do your Etsys and your Facebooks and stuff, do they actually go around looking for people with anthropology degrees thinking like, these are very helpful skills for certain kinds of, of jobs? So they come most of the way there. What they look for is people who are really good communicators. Uh, Facebook, one of their things was, we like people who can work through ambiguity. And if you think about it, engineering is not about working through ambiguity. Engineering is about getting the right answer. So all of these ambiguity experts turn out to be sociology majors and political science majors and the like. So they're not explicitly asking for the degree, but implicitly they're setting up a bunch of requirements that mean if you've got that kind of degree, you've probably got what Facebook wants. You um, have interviewed a ton of people who majored in humanities um, and then got all sorts of jobs, actually quite a few of them in Silicon Valley or in the tech industry, although maybe not like doing traditional tech things. Give me an example. Talk about one of those people who had what we might consider an unlikely story and kind of speaks to the mom or the dad who's like, listen, it's a ton of money to send somebody to college. I'm, you know, going into debt for it. I'd really, really like to make sure that this kid can get a job coming right out. So maybe they should just be an engineer because I feel like that's safe. So let me tell you the story of Mylene Garcia. She was a sociology major at Berkeley. She started out in community college. She was married to a, um, a guy in the military service and was on a um, you know, Southern California community college with no national reputation, got good grades, made it to Berkeley. Uh, and then what do you do with a sociology degree? And initially, she started out working for some foundations and some nonprofits and the Department of Labor. But she was seeing this incredible boom in the way we were using smartphones to create apps for everything in the world of commerce. You know, you can book your, your plane tickets, you can write your Yelp review, you can share your Instagram mm -hmm. photos, on and on. But nothing was happening in city government. And she was going, I am so committed to programs that will help people, that will reach the, um, the dispossessed, the people who are marginalized in society. Government's the place to do it. And they've still got websites that look like it's 1998. And that's very hard for people to use. So she has ended up in Oakland as a digital initiative specialist. And in the city of Oakland, she's the one who figures out, okay, how can you pay your parking ticket with your phone? How can you change your jury duty date with your phone? How can you tell the mayor that you just don't like what the mayor's doing and you want her to do something different? And she's building out a whole service. And the fact that she has the sociology training that lets her think about different influence groups in the city and the way power is held and dispersed and consolidated makes her incredibly effective. And also the fact that her own life experience includes a lot of stages in life where she was scraping to make ends meet and she was not going out to buy the iPhone 8. Mm -hmm. She was getting by with older technology makes her very attuned to what's going to work for people. So you take a little bit of tech and a sociology degree and you've got a really effective combination. How do people know that that's not just like... You know, a one in a million kind of shot. Like, of course, there are people who major in liberal arts who who succeed. But, you know, that doesn't mean it's um, as sure a thing as other kinds of majors. I mean, do you feel like this is a, you know, a special case or like, talk about that a little bit? So there's data on this, and you're you're totally right. I mean, uh, as much as we love anecdotes, at some point you have to go. What are what do all the numbers add up to? And LinkedIn actually did an analysis of more than a million relatively recent college graduates, and said, "Okay, what's your college path, and what brought you into the tech sector?" And they found tens and tens of thousands of people who'd come out with liberal arts degrees and were now working in uh, the broader definition of tech. So 
human relations, the people who are doing the recruiting, the people who are doing the training, the people who are doing the benefits. When fast-growing companies like Airbnb expand, a lot of times they're bringing in people with a liberal arts degree. The periphery of sales, marketing, those kinds of areas, uh, there's all kind of need for people who can tell a story, who can relate to the other, the person on the other side. But um, yeah, if the answer is, is this, you know, three examples that I'm trying to turn a trend into? No. You, you look at the LinkedIn numbers and, you know, you're looking at 7 to 10% of college graduates are finding this kind of path. And it's never talked about. Hmm. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with George Anders. He's a contributing editor at Forbes and the author of You Can Do Anything, The Surprising Power of a Useless Liberal Arts Education. If somebody said to you, yeah, I'm sold. I'm going to major in art history or, or you know, English or whatever, but I do have some time on my schedule. What things do you think I should take that are not, you know, the kind of traditional humanities courses? What do you, what do you think would make that history major, more marketable? So the first thing I would say is take a couple statistics classes. We used to regard uh, calculus as sort of the pathway for math. And if you want to build bridges, you do need your calculus. But if you're going to deal with data, which is Mm -hmm. much more common now, uh, having some sense, not just of what's a standard deviation, what's a sample size, but what kind of questions can I ask with data? What kind of answers am I going to get back that are definitive? What are the holes in my statistical model that I have to be really careful about? And if you can work with numbers, even on that basic level, or if you can run a meeting in which you're surrounded by people who do have the data, you can be very effective at a lot of different levels. So that would probably be my my big recommendation of, you know, if you're going to ground yourself a little bit in um, the technical side of the world, bring that in. Beyond that, a little bit of economics. Uh, and economics can get very theoretical and very mathematical quite fast. I was an econ major, and you know there are still equations that'll make me tremble. But you know the basics of supply and demand, you know price and how that that influences things. Uh, you don't need a ton of it, but if you've got a bit of it, you're going to be much more effective in a business setting. So those would be the two. So let's talk about money for a second. Um, you know, as I mentioned, there's been a quite a precipitous drop in the, just in the last several years in the number of people uh, majoring um, in uh, humanities subjects. Um, how does this break down in terms of income? I mean, do I just wonder if like people from more affluent backgrounds feel like it's okay to do the philosophy major because if I struggle for a couple of years trying to figure out post-graduation, like where I put myself or how I can get a job, that's okay. I have the cushion, you know, and maybe lower income folks are like, well, I better go with the sure thing right away because I need to start paying back these loans and so on. So I had an excerpt in the Atlantic magazine looking at what happens for first-generation families where someone is the first in their family to go to college and they're looking at a major in psychology or sociology or English. And I've got a couple ideas so that that transition works well because you're quite right. There's the risk that if the first year or two is a little bit bumpy, some families can ride that out just fine and some others can't. So here's some specifics that I think can help on that. Uh, The first thing is you're going to be a much stronger job candidate if you've had one or two really interesting internships along the way. In a lot of the areas that I'm I'm talking about, particularly public sector, nonprofits, the like, it's hard to get a paying internship. Mm -hmm. And what I see a a handful of colleges doing, and I want more of them to do, is to set up a system where if you're coming from a lower income background and you're offered an unpaid internship, 
your university has a fund mm -hmm. that will top you up to 5000 for the summer or yeah. some amount of money that will pay your rent, give you spending money, maybe give you a little bit that you can take into the, the next school year uh, so that you can take that internship. And right, you can right. go work for the Girls Who Code program in Morocco. Or you can go um, and I'll try and do some sort of community service or get to know the inner workings of a small foundation. And it doesn't take that much money to do it. Alumni love to give money for it. I've mm -hmm. had development people tell me that is the easiest ask because you go to successful business people and say, would you like to set up a program mm -hmm. that will help graduates of your school get good jobs if they come from humble backgrounds? And the answer is, you know, what size check would you like? You know, br bring me my pen. Right, right, right. So I wonder, having done all this research on college, what do you feel like in 2017 college is for I mean, especially, especially as you see prices for both public and private institutions skyrocket. So we want college to do a lot of things, and some of them overlap quite nicely, and some of them are a little bit contradictory. But let's build the pyramid, and I think we need to start at the first. College does need to help you professionally with your career. It's just too expensive to go for simply improving your mind. You should, if you only want to improve your mind, sign up for a books list or take a couple evening classes. But college is meant to offer you um, a way to get to a better economic and, and social place in life. But on top of that, it's meant to widen your horizons, to show you a lot of things that you didn't know otherwise, to make you a more informed citizen. Uh, when I showed up at college, I knew what my dad did for a living. I had a hazy idea of what my uncle did and a couple neighbors. My horizons didn't go that far, and the first 18 months were just revelatory. It was sort of this amazing new world of all these different specialties. And I, I discovered historians and what they did and how they wrote about very complicated events and made them all seem clear and lucid. And that was kind of magical. And I took a class on Dostoevsky and I got it into, you know, how you analyze human character. And those have actually been really useful for me and, you know, evolving as a writer and starting to do books. And I've never written about the history of Reconstruction, but I've used a lot of things from that class to become a better organizer and a better writer. And I think college has that transformative power for people. So I don't want to lose that. I don't want it to become just a vocational school, that this is not auto shop for the mind. Uh, and so we need to somehow marry that those two functions of getting people the skills they need to find a good job and then just widening people's horizons so they can be great citizens. George Anders is a former Pulitzer Prize winner. He's the author most recently of You Can Do Anything, The Surprising Power of a Useless Liberal Arts Education. George, thanks for your time. Thank you. Anders cites Wake Forest University near Raleigh, North Carolina, as an example of a liberal arts school that carefully remade itself in an effort to ensure that students saw a path from a liberal arts major to a high-quality job. We've got the story of how they did it at our website, innovationhub.org.